and uh, let's open with prayer. Father, we come this morning to worship You, to praise You, to open Your Word together, to share and break bread together. Uh, Lord, we bring this time to You as we commit it to You. We ask that You would help us set aside all the distractions uh, going on around us and uh, ask that You would be with us as we worship together and as we open Your Word together. Again, we thank You and love You and praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship. Should nothing of our efforts stand, no legacy survive, unless the Lord does raise the house, in vain its builders strive. To you who boast tomorrow's gain, tell me what is your life? A mist that vanishes at dawn, all glory be to Christ. Glory be to Christ, our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. His will be done, His kingdom come on earth as is above. Who is Himself our daily bread? Praise Him, the Lord of love. Let living water satisfy the thirsty without price. We'll take a cup of kindness, yet all glory be to Christ. When on the day the great I am, the faithful and the true, the Lamb who was for sinners slain is making all things new. Behold, our God shall live with us and be our steadfast light. And we shall ere His people be, all glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ, our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. 
compare. Come, let us adore Him. Behold our God seated on His throne. Come, let us adore Him. Behold our King. Nothing can compare. Come, let us adore Things to bring to our attention this morning. Uh, one is the August 7th, July 4th celebration. <laughs> We've had to put off on uh, in July. Is uh, We're going to go ahead and continue with that uh, at 1 o'clock at the Petersons. Uh, what's going to be provided is what we're calling a hot dog bar. It will be hot dogs and hot dog buns and stuff like that and all those things that Go with that. Potato salad and coleslaw, beverages, place settings. There will be a barbecue there if hot dogs are not to your liking. And nobody will be offended. Uh, what to bring? Uh, an outdoor chair if you have one. If you would like to bring a particular potluck dish uh, to share with the rest of us, uh, feel free to do so. But that's an optional. Uh, and again, your own food if you want something other than hot dogs yourself. And your friends, family, even if you didn't sign up, you're still invited to come. And so uh, that's August 7th, uh, 4151 Diana Drive. And uh, that, so that's this next Saturday. And uh, it is a lot of fun. Uh, and we just look forward to 
getting together for that fellowship. Uh, next Sunday, we normally have a church uh, fellowship time after a meal after the service, but with uh, Saturday's event in place and all, we'll just postpone that and uh, we'll reschedule it at another point. Um, I, I'm, I read this in, in, in caution, uh, just in a sense of updating where we are in, in uh, our locality. Um, with all of the information that's coming across on the news, with uh, the COVID cases that are seeming to be on the rise in Humboldt County, um, uh, I, I'll just read it to the way, way we have it written here. Uh, we are uh, li- uh, having a surge of COVID cases in our area and in the, some of our Fortuna churches as well. Uh, to be proactive, we are temporarily suspending the children's church and uh, weekly studies. Uh, we cur- encourage families to have their children uh, in the service uh, in use, uh, or you can use the fellowship room if uh, you need. Uh, the fellowship room has got the the recording uh, the ser- the service on a big screen TV back there, just around the corner here. And uh, we also recommend, uh, regardless of your vaccination status, uh, when we're up and around and outside of our family groups together, uh, that we would be wearing masks while we're indoors. And uh, so just as a, as a precautionary measure uh, and taking uh, every prudent way we can to keep this out of our church. And you'll see from our prayer request that that's uh, is not happened everywhere. Um, in our prayer needs, uh, we want to lift up uh, from Campton Heights Baptist, their pastor, Mason Lockwood, and his whole family have COVID. Mason's in the hospital now. Uh, he's gotten worse and he's back. And he's in the hospital. So we want to keep their family in prayer. Uh, Jamie Provenos from uh, the Cal- uh, Lighthouse, used to be Calvary Chapel, or uh, Christian Center, Calvary Christian Center. Um, uh, Jamie uh, is Marty. The Marty's is the pastor there. It's his wife. She's contracted the COVID-19, and uh, so. The, and there's some other churches I know that have uh, expressed just prayer in general. And so uh, we just want to to keep this up in prayer. Ask that the Lord would. Break the cycle and, and bring healing to our nation and, and, and healing to our churches. And uh, just uh, you know, in reference to, to my situation, and I already heard it before though, but uh, I had a 90-minute rest in the uh, chairs of the dentist uh, this last week and uh, had uh, eight teeth uh, extracted. The results of the scaffolding accident I had a number of years ago was just the last of the teeth that are still were still working are starting to crack and break. And uh, the thing was is that they're all breaking off at the root, and then they have to dig and get the uh, roots. My roots don't like to come out, so uh, just uh, uh, I get another round of this on the 20th of August. So uh, appreciate your prayers and support for that. Thank you. Uh, any other prayer needs this morning? 
Okay, Grant's friend that has a uh, is in the hospital with a flesh-eating virus. We ask again, God would bring healing. Any other needs before I pray? Well, let's pray together. Father, we come this morning first with an absolute confidence that the God of all creation hears our needs. You've invited us to approach Your throne for mercy and for grace. And You said to come with confidence and, and anticipation and expectation that we would be heard and that You will respond. And so we come this morning. We bring our needs to You. We think of Grant's friend with this serious virus. Uh, we ask, Lord, that You would bring with her, be with her and give the doctors wisdom as to not only to identify it, but what to do to treat it and to bring strength and healing we don't hesitate to pray for the miraculous and your intervention with your healing hand, Lord. And we think that same prayer request, your intervention and your healing hand for uh, the, the Masons, uh, for Mason and the Lockwood family uh, as they've gone through this round with the COVID uh, virus and especially Mason in the hospital right now, be with him. Uh, we think of Jamie also uh, uh, at uh, Lighthouse Church. Uh, we ask that you would be with her and bring strength and healing. And Lord, probably every one of us in here know other people who are either dealing with this or dealing with the aftermath of the virus. We ask again the same thing, that you would intervene, bring healing, bring uh, strength, just break the back of this virus. And in a general prayer request, Lord, we would ask just that, you would break the back of this virus and cause it to be of no consequence at this point and bring healing to those who are suffering with it. And uh, just ask, Lord, that You would uh, just eliminate it, Lord. And uh, we thank You, Lord, that we can bring these needs before You. And we thank You in Jesus' name. And now before we open Your Word, we ask again that You would open our minds your words uh, and open our hearts. We know that your words, uh, sometimes uh, things that we've heard many, many times over the years, if we allow your Holy Spirit can bring fresh application and we just look for that in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, as we're just doing a, a run through the Bible in a sense is kind of keeping up with our reading through the Bible in a year that we've been doing as a congregation. We've been highlighting various points of uh, various books of the Old Testament so far. And we're at the point where we're going to look uh, quickly this morning at the book of Daniel. And uh, I think the easiest way to get the, the to set the stage is to read the first few verses of, of Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, 
Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Esphenaz, uh, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, used without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Ezariah, he called Abednego. So there's the setting. We have Daniel in his teenage years taken in a sense of what's called the captivity and the Babylonian captivity. And he's taken to Babylon where he is trained for three years uh, and, uh, to serve actually in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. And so the, the timeline that we're looking at here, if you want to try to fit it into overall things in the Scripture, uh, Abraham, the story of Abraham is around 2000 B.C. Somewhere around the 1450 B.C. is the story of Moses. Somewhere around the early 900s uh, is the, the kingdom splits uh, into Israel and the ten tribes, northern Israel, and two tribes, Judah, in the southern part of Israel. So two different nations. Uh, in 722, there was the Assyrian captivity, which involved Israel, the northern nation. And in 605 to 735 was the Babylonian captivity, which involved Judah. So, uh, you know, we've talked already about the 70 years uh, in Babylon captivity. Uh, the doors were open for the Jews to return, and we've talked about uh, Jeremiah, Ezra, and all those. That happens in that time frame. It was an interesting thought that it, 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 it's something that just doesn't occur to you, possibly to you. And, and so, uh, there's kind of a little side note here. Where is Daniel buried? Anybody want to venture a shot at it? Well, he's buried in Babylon. He lived there till he died. And it's just an interesting side note. We think of Daniel as a prophet of Israel and, and Judah, and, and we, we don't think of, uh, of, of the fact that here he was such a, a powerful person of predicting all the things that were going to happen in the future, and uh, yet he, st- he died in his Babylonian captivity. Daniel is, is one of those uh, books... Uh, that it's just full of of 
fascinating things. And it's, it's jam-packed. I mean, you think about it. It's a book of history. Uh, it's a book of prophecy. It's a book of dreams and visions. And the difference between dreams and visions, dreams are when you're asleep, visions are when you're awake. That's generally the category, the way it's looked at. So, a book of dreams and visions. It's got. Uh, it's a book about some strange creatures and supernatural events. There's a fiery furnace and a lion's den, and we, we're familiar with those stories. I'm seeing the two young people in here this morning, and they probably have heard those stories in Sunday school already. Of 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 uh, the Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Uh, with a fourth person walking around in with them, and that's uh, the Lord protecting them. And then there's Daniel's story of the, of the lion's den, and it says the Lord protected him by closing the mouth of the lion and holding it closed. And so, uh, very familiar stories. And I and I put a side note here to that. They're in sport. They're really important stories. So uh, they occur in the first six chapters of of. of uh, Daniel, and they are really important for our children and for us to remind us today that we have a choice either to bow down to peer pressure of our culture and or to stand firm for the things of God that we know are true. And I, I don't know if you've ever been put to the test. I can't answer that for you. Uh, you. Only you know whether that's happened or not. But the idea is, is that at some point in, some, in our lives, we all come to a, the, the, uh, some point of test where we, we have to decide whether we're going to yield and do what the world around us is doing so we blend in and don't stand out, or whether we're going to stand apart and not participate in, in, in the worldly ways of doing things. And so... That we see, and, and within the framework of that, we have Daniel here, and uh, is is a picture. But some people will turn around and say, "Well, what if the law of the land comes up and says, well, you know, uh, you know, you, we don't want you to do this or to do that.'" And all I can say is, is that you know, it, Paul makes it clear in his writings: we are to be obedient to the law of the land. But there's a provisio in there. And we find it in Acts chapter 5, uh, reading uh, about Peter, uh, verses 17 through 42 thereabouts, uh, where Peter is, is, is arrested uh, for preaching the gospel. He's uh, instructed by the leadership of the, the community to no longer preach. Uh, they were thinking about taking him out and, and doing him in right then and there. And a, a person stood up and, and said, put, him, put Peter out for a minute. And his name was Gamiel. And he stands up and he says, I don't think that's such a good idea. We'll make him a martyr and everything will be worse. So uh, just we'll, we'll, we'll take care of him here and then send him out. And he, he's, you know, the implication was from Gamiel's point of view, you know, he's a smart guy. He'll figure it out. You know, he, He'll be quiet. They actually beat him. They beat Peter. And then, and then put him out and said, don't do this anymore. And if you read the Scriptures, what Peter did was he went out and preached. The very, the, the very next thing he did was he went out and preached. And so uh, this idea is, is the, the, you come down to where we are to obey the law of the land in as much as it does not interfere with what God has called us to do in the way we live our lives. 
And so if the law of the land comes up and says, you shall not bow, you, you, you must bow down, i.e. Daniel's case with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, you must bow down, well then, you know, you, 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 don't, you, you stand there and you say, no, I can't do that. I will not bow down to anyone but my God, my Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result, and it's interesting, you won't find in the scripture very you know anybody turning around and and saying your consequences are inequitable to what you're doing to, for what I did. They just simply allow the consequences to fall. As a result, you know uh, the apostles all but John were uh, uh, killed, were uh, executed in various ways. Because they refused to bow down and they received the consequences. But they didn't go screaming. They went willingly and they died with Christ in their, in their heart with the, and, and the Word of God on their lips, basically. And we see that all through the persecution of the Christian church. The times of the arenas where Christians were singing hymns together as they were being executed. It's, uh, you know, so, this picture is, is that we have a set of, of things within the framework of the, the, the biblical law of God that is first and foremost in our heart. And where it stands, we stand. What it says, we agree with and we stand on it. And it may not be the most popular thing to do. And in some cultures, it could, today we know it will cost you your life. Over the years, we've had guest speakers here that have told us that they, I think of the one from, from uh, Lebanon that said he, he witnessed his father uh, uh, executed by Muslims in the, in, in his, uh, in the middle of the, the, the town uh, because he was a Christian pastor. You know, that we, we are a blessed people. I, I can't, you know, I, I, I can carry my Bible, I can preach from the pulpit. I'm going over the the internet. It's 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 uh, uh, an amazing time in in the sense that you know the freedom and the blessings that we have, and so we're encouraged. Don't yield to the culture. Stand in Christ. Stand in His Word. And uh, so, with that, I just I'll move ahead here. God's use of dreams and visions is really a ma- an amazing thing through Scripture. And, uh, the, you know, God used them in such amazing ways. And I think of, of uh, just uh, the different people in, in the Old Testament, for instance. Abraham, Abimelech, Jacob, you know, uh, Joseph. Gosh, talk about a guy that got into dreams and visions. You know, um, Pharaoh's cupbearer. Uh, in, 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 in Baker in the, in the Genesis chapter 40. Pharaoh himself in Genesis 41. Samuel. Uh, in fact, there was even one in, in Judges uh, where God uh, speaks to a soldier in a, in a dream in a, uh, among the Midianite and Amalekites that were preparing to go to battle. And, and they told him, we're, we're going to lose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and so, uh, you know, Gideon overheard that as they were spying and, 
and was greatly encouraged by it. So here's God even planting within the framework of, of the enemy, God can speak to them. God is absolutely sovereign. Keep that in your mind as we're going through this. Solomon, uh, Daniel, of course, uh, had the visions and dreams. And I was thinking, you know, that makes me think of the New Testament as well. And the first one that came to my mind was Zechariah chapter uh, 1 of, of Luke. You know, he's gone to the temple and, and he's given a vision of his, uh, of having of, of his son John the Baptist and of Jesus Christ both. And, and, and so, you know, uh, we see these different things. Joseph in, 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 uh, was given a dream to, in order to protect Mary and Jesus. Uh, Pilate's wife had a dream and said, don't mess with Jesus, Pilate, <laughs> basically. And uh, you, we, we see how that turned out for, you know, Ananias. In Acts chapter 9, uh, Cornelius, Acts chapter 10, Peter in Acts chapter 10. Uh, all of these different ones that have visions. Paul had visions uh, in chapter 16, chapter 19, Corinthians, uh, Acts, and those, uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 12. And uh, then I, I, the one that, that everybody might think of first would be John in the book of Revelation. You know, and, and, and so. Uh, you look at that, and I was reading one commentator, and he, and he put in, today, dreams and visions. Today's dreams and visions. And I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. And he, he, this is what he wrote. He says, with the completion of the Bible, God does not have to use dreams and visions as much as he did before. That is not to say that he cannot or does not. God can communicate with us however he chooses. But when he, he, we have a decision to make, our first stop should always be the Bible, the Word of God. Even if we have a dream or a vision, we should go to the Bible and see if it's consistent. If we're unsure, go to the elders or a teacher that you're familiar with in the Word of God and discuss it with them so that you can make sure that you're not acting outside of things. In fact, any time you would, thought you had a dream or a vision, I would take it to the leadership of your, of your church and, and ask them what they think about it and, and consider their counsel seriously. So, the, the book of Daniel, it, it's just, it, it, it's, that's the whole point of it in the sense of, of in seeing these dreams and visions and then interpreting them. The one I looked at that I wanted to focus on was Daniel chapter 2. Uh, it's, it's the first uh, dream that we deal with. And it, uh, I'm, I'm not going to go into all of the, the whole chapter here uh, in detail, but Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. It, it upsets him. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand it. So he calls all of his Chaldean ministers and, and sorcerers and different people that he would expect to come up with. And he, out, he wants their interpretation of the dream. But he does something really unique. It's not been done apparently really before this time as far as seeking an analysis of, of, of a dream as, and, and from a leader. 
He says, not only do you have to give me the interpretation, you have to tell me the dream itself. All of the, the, the Chaldean people and the ministers of, of, of court there, that they're, they're saying, you know, this can't be done. This isn't the way it's done. First you tell us the dream, and then we give the interpretation. And he says, no. You will tell me first the dream. Why is he being this way? Well, first off, I think God planted a thought in him because he was planning to set Daniel apart right now. But I also think that he was looking to say, you know, I, I, we've, he's been in court long enough and he's, and he's been around all of this long enough to know that if you give somebody a vision or a dream, they can come up with any idea they want. They say, well, this means that and this means that. How are you going to validate it? And so he says, in order for you to validate your interpretation, you're going to have to tell me the dream itself. And he says, and if you guys can't do this, <laughs> you're, good, you're done. Well, none of them can do it. Now, you have to understand, in the background, there's an implication here. Daniel's amongst the group of these wise people. He might be involved in just this mass execution that's going to go on. And he asks for permission to see the king. And he's granted an audience with the king. He asks the king to give him some a little bit of time to, to, to come, you know, Approach this, and this is what he does. It says in verse 17 of chapter 2, it says, Daniel went to the house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, or Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego sometimes. I don't know why that's their names that are remembered, but yeah, well, I know why. And they told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of these wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God, my Father, to you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Powerful picture. He went to prayer. He got people to pray with him, his, his best friends also with, that came with him in captivity. And God answers his prayer. It says, just down from that, it says, Arioch, which was the, the overseer of these people, uh, brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel whose name was Belshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen in this and is 
and its interpretation. And Daniel answered the king and said, No wise man, enchanters, or magicians, or astrologers can show you to the king the mystery of that the king has asked. He says, all your wise men are, are not able to do this. And then I, I think Nebuchadnezzar could say, yeah, they've already told me this. <laughs> but he's pointing it out because there's a reason. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. For as for me, the mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have, more than all of the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. What he's doing is very bold to tell Nebuchadnezzar oh, the way you've been doing this all along in the past and all your ancestors, the, the court's way of doing this, the king's court's way of doing these things doesn't work. Only God, the God, one God, it can give you what you are asking for. Daniel interprets the dream in 31 through uh, 35. Uh, I'll, I'll read those verses just to set it up. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and exceedingly brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was fine gold. Its chest and arms of silver. Its, made and thigh, its middle and thighs of bronze. Legs of iron, its feet part, uh, partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and it broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone was struck, uh, that struck the image became a great mountain that filled the earth. Dream given to Nebuchadnezzar. He's an unbeliever, a pagan king. I'm going to suggest to you that this is the way he would see it, but not necessarily you know, the way God is revealing it to him because he's a pagan and he has to see things that way. And so God gives him a dream that would be something he could grasp and see. Some would say at this point, they'd say the humanistic view of history. <laughs> but, uh, and, 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 uh, it says that, you know, the Gentile kingdoms from man's perspective are always looked in, in a sense of glorious empires uh, with, in, 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 with some form of, of internal or intrinsic value. And I think of all the times that I went through history, we talked about the greatness of these empires uh, in, in school and even in college. 
and, and how they ruled and some of the things they brought, which were amazing uh, in the sense of achievements and all. But, but we always seem to be lifting them up. And in reality, God is bringing them down. So we, you know, he, this, this statue kind of represents uh, how man would look at it. And then, and then he interprets the dream and he says, uh, there's four divisions here. Uh, uh, and, and, uh, uh, a, and then there's a stone. And by the way, the stone in Matthew chapter 21 verse 44 is identified as Jesus Christ. And so, just keep that in the back of your mind. This is a picture of God's intervention in history. The, the metallic divisions, or if you, however you want to call it, Babylon is the gold. Medial Persian is, Persia is the silver. Greece is the uh, bronze, which would in, uh, tie in with Alexander the Great. And then Rome is the final one, the legs of iron. What happens with the Roman Empire, by the way? I, I didn't even catch this how many times I've read this. There's two legs of iron. There's a point where the Roman Empire divides. And there's two empires. Uh, and and uh, it, the thing that I found that's interesting to look at here and to bring up this morning is that the Roman Empire was never conquered. People say, well, well, then where is it? How did it die? How did it collapse? The fall of the Roman Empire collapsed inside out. It defeated itself. Now, the reason, as you look at this, is we have this last part of this picture of the iron and clay mixed together. Could... Could that possibly be the attempt to resurrect the Roman Empire? In a sense? Well, a lot of studies that deal with, which we're not even getting into the, the details deeply here, about the Antichrist, which Daniel deals with very interestingly, brings the, a global empire. Many say it's as if the Roman Empire were resurrected to take the world. I think that's an interesting thought, at least. The the there's the you know we we have the 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 four metallic divisions and it says the ten toes, uh, which would represent ten nations coming together. By the way, again, an implication of of end time theology, uh, and yet it's smashed by a stone, Christ. And then the stone becomes a great mountain that fills the whole earth. The kingdom endures forever. That's Christ's second coming. I, I, I think it's awesome to be able to, to put these things together. And, and if you look at, at Daniel, another parallel to this is Daniel chapter 7. I'm not going to go into it other than to say it follows this same pattern, except it uses four beasts coming out of the ocean uh, the ocean, uh, generally speaking, when they speak, say the great sea, as they do in Matthew, uh, in chapter 7, they're referring to the Mediterranean Sea. 
but it's also the sea of humanity is what's referenced in a, in a, in a general co- context of when something comes up out of the great sea, it's coming up out of the sea of humanity. And, and so you have the four beasts coming out of this, this sea. And again, the four beasts are the same identifications. The first beast is Babylon. The second one is per- Medo-Persian. The third one is Greek. And the fourth one is Rome. Rome has ten thorns on it. Or ten horns, excuse me, on it. And then one rises up in the midst of them. Most will receive that as a picture of the Antichrist and, and, and the coming. But again, the even chapter 7 ends, the Son of Man receives a kingdom, everlasting dominion, and will not pass away or be destroyed. Uh, and it says that the dominion in chapter 7, it says dominion is taken away from the destroyer forever. So, again, we have the same picture parallel in chapter 2, chapter 7. They're, they're harmonized, if you will. And so I look at that and say, God must really want to say something to us. And, and I'm thinking, boy, the part of me wants to get into the, 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 70, you know, the, the 70 weeks and all that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, man, there's so much information. There's so many opinions about some of the details in times. No matter what you say, you can't be right or you can't be wrong, depending on what group you're talking to. And, and so I, I, I thought of my conclusion. Really, the important thing that needs to come out of Daniel is that God is sovereign. This is what we need to learn from this book. The sovereignty of God. World history ends with the, king of he- the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of, uh, of heaven forever. God's in charge. All the global events that lead up to it and, and, and in the, from, the, from the global events to, to the smallest details are under God's authority. He either allows it or does not allow it. And as He allows it, it it isn't allowed unless it fits into His plan to bring about the perfect end that He's already predicted in Revelation and, and, and other parts of Scripture. We have then, for as we look through history, and we've seen some of these things, gosh, so many of them, that have been fulfilled, the prophecies of Christ included, that, that we, see, we see the reliability of biblical prophecy. We can go to it and say, yeah, this is God's Word. It's inerrant. It, it, it's, it's trust. You can trust it. You can rest in it. It's God-breathed, according to Paul's writing to Timothy. It's God-breathed. It tells us how to live for God in a secular society. It, it, there's some implications in it if you go through the whole book as you read it. God's not done with the Jewish people yet either. Even the most evil empires serve God's purposes. The mightiest human uh, empires are temporary. When God sets up His kingdom, it's forever. So everything that man brings forth sets up and, and, and strives to live. Think about the, the, the last major attempt at a world conquest. The Third Reich. What was it? It lasted six and a half years, seven years. I can't remember. It was going to be the thousand year reign. Uh, it, it's, you know, everything that man tries to put up before men and he encompasses and grabs their attention and says, look, join me. We need to take it to the Word of God and see how it stands. 
Jesus Christ is the center of all things. He is the center of history. And I did emphasize that the way I meant history. Because I've heard this ever since I was in Bible college. What we have in history is the revealing of His story. God. God has a plan. And His plan is down to the intricate detail. God knows and is in control of the future. Everything that God has predicted has come true exactly as He's predicted up to this point. Therefore, we should believe and trust that the things He has predicted for the future will one day occur exactly as He has declared. I uh, encourage you to read uh, uh, Josh McDowell's uh, book in reference to Christ, uh, More Than a Carpenter. And he gets into the prophecies around Christ alone and how that pushes you. I mean, you look at it and you start to see over 300 prophecies that are dealing with Christ and, and how many of them fulfilled already and the rest of them just waiting for His second coming. And you realize this happened. This It happened just this way. Psalm 22, read through it. It will give you the picture of the cross. I mean, it's an amazing thing that God has done for us. He's given us a word that we can look at and even challenge in a sense and find it speaks the truth. So I figured if there's anything I want to get in, out of here, the sovereignty of God and His Word speaks the truth. In the New Testament, the book of Acts, as often as the believers gathered together, it says that they broke bread and, and shared the cup. Uh, they shared communion together. By the way... I was, I was told when I was in Bible college that that meant that probably was happening more than once a week at that point in time. But on Sunday, we come to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How did the resurrection come to us? Through the cross. And so we come and we share the bread and the cup together to give thanks to God for all that He has done for us. And we do it as an opportunity to examine our hearts before God as well. A reminder that we want to, to have His forgiveness and His grace working in our lives. We are still sharing communion through the packets. And if you weren't uh, able to pick one up before coming in, the cabinets are, there, there's packets on that table. We're going to sing a song for communion. And then... Uh, if you need to get out and, and pick up a, a packet, feel free to do that, and uh, we'll share in just a moment. Nothing but the blood of Jesus for my 
the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the blood that makes me white as snow. No other sound I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Thank you, ladies. communion this morning, I was looking at uh, the institution of the Lord's Supper in Luke chapter 22. It reads, when the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we thank You for these emblems that remind us of the awesomeness of what You have given us. And through faith in Christ, as we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is the Christ risen from the dead, we stand already in the kingdom of God. And we look to that day where we share this meal together with you, I believe, the, the, the marriage feast, the Lamb and the church. And we ask, Lord, that you would be with us, cause us to go from here with the testimony of you in our heart, 
and looking for the opportunity to share it with others. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we close, please?